Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Greetings, comrades, and welcome to the Eastern Border. My legs are not that fine yet, but I have to give you out this episode because, again, this is a nice little collection of studies of, well, bizarre things that really couldn't make it anywhere else. And they're gonna be about today's politics, mostly, because I want to give you a nice little update on the whole situation with Russia and Belarus, since things have changed. Quite a bit, in fact, and um, I uh, have just barely finished the book on uh, that cool ship, which means that I'm into the script writing part right now with that one, so that's going to be the next episode, where we're going to delve really deep into all these Soviet secret stuff about how they spied using that ship, but for now, for now, I'm going to, at first, attempt something that apparently was a bit too hard for the BBC. Now, a little bit of backstory. You see, I told you in the previous episode concerning modern politics that the referendum is going to happen somewhere in autumn. Well, they shifted that to April, and then it turns out that it's not even going to be a referendum. I mean, they're changing the constitution in Russia without a referendum or without even making a constitutional committee or anything like that. They're going to have something which Ella Pamfilova, one of the Central Election Committee chairman, called National Vote, which is totally incomprehensible as of what it even is, what its legal status is. And it's going to happen in late April, early May, but it's going to happen only after uh, Vladimir Putin's hand-picked committee walk through all of his constitutional changes that he wants to do, because uh, that's all, like, uppity and weird. And this public vote is gonna happen only after the president will have signed it into law. Now, if you're confused about, wait, what? And what's going on? And is this even legal? Then, yeah, you're totally right. And you're not the only ones around with the... Uh, Total confusion with uh, coffee spewing out of their nostrils and being utterly confused about, wait, what? Can you do that even? And in an interview with the speaker of Gosduma, which is kind of like uh, the speaker for Congress, a similar position, Vyacheslav Volodin, a journalist from BBC Russia, a Russian journalist, no less, asked in, in Russian, well, what's the point of this uh, nationwide voting 
if the president will have already signed the thing into law at that point. And the thing is that the answer to this question given by Mr. Vladislav Volodin is just historical. It is, it is a thing of beauty, of marvel, and of true greatness that should basically be taught to kids in school and just showed in every possible course which gives anything about like critical reasoning or 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 um, public speaking any of these events yeah if they don't like show up this mr volodian's answer as an example of how to make literally zero sense in a lot of words and just corrupt everything that you touch then I don't know. The thing is that I waited with this a bit because I wanted someone professional to translate into English. Because you see, I know Russian and I know English, but I don't know English well enough to even bizarrely make sense of this, and I can barely understand what he's saying in Russian. Even Russians can barely understand what he's saying in Russian. The interview happened on the 25th. It's the 31st now. And the BBC, the English version of BBC, hasn't even published this answer at all. Because uh, I think they also just looked at this and decided that, hey, this, this does not translate into English. Now, what I'm going to do here is that uh, this answer is quite long, and I will try my best to basically give you a translation of it. But um, I'm not sure if it'll make any sense whatsoever, because it doesn't in Russian. And to quote my colleagues at Novaya Gazeta Ru, or the new paper Ru, which is an opposition newspaper, they said about this speech, quote, We reread this speech of the chairman of Gosdum many times. We attempted to kind of place out his arguments and what he said and as logically as we could, and we tried to place commas in the right places, but we simply could not understand what he said. And nobody out of the people to whom we asked to explain the speech to us for any commentaries or explanations couldn't even help us. And then a Russian newspaper, and the speech was given in Russian, this answer. And remember that BBC is a British media, okay? This, this actually is very important at this point. It's a British media thing. Now, um, what I'm gonna do now is, well, you can like skip 30 seconds forward because I'll, I'll read this in full in Russian because I know that there are some people who speak Russian here who listen to my show besides me so that you'll understand it a bit better than just leave comments on Twitter or Facebook or here at easternborder.lv for the explanation. But yeah, I'll go through this speech in Russian quickly for those people who speak it and then I'll try sentence by sentence to somehow give answer to this question why do you even need this vote if everything's been written to law before? To give you some context, see, this person, Vladislav Volodin, due to how uh, laws of freedom of press work in Russia, i.e. they don't work at all, yeah, he was just basically prepared only for previously sanctioned questions, questions who were sent to him before that would make him look good from the official media, but you can't really throw out the BBC from the equation here, it would be just too outrageous even for Russia, and this journalist managed to snuck this question in. Okay, and this was the answer. Like I said, if you don't speak Russian, skip forward, and or if you just like to hear me speak in Russian or want to learn some Russian, oh, wow, well, tough luck about that, but um, but yeah, maybe, maybe this will help. <clears throat> 
Смысл в том, чтобы вы, представляя зарубежные средства массовой информации, такую форму, которую мы для себя избираем, сложную, но при этом демократичную, когда в обсуждениях в всех этих поправок принимают участие не только депутаты, члены Совета Федерации, региональные парламенты, но в конечном счете все это будет решаться гражданами нашей страны и для своих стран брали и резавировали. Потому что вы президентов избираете там, две сотни конгрессменов решают судьбу мира, а потом мы все все заложники становимся таких решений, когда сотрясают всех, и потом вы начинаете продвигать свои экономические интересы, ставя э, заслон другим странам. Вот идите по пути России. Все иное вмешательство в наши дела. Поэтому будьте также здесь э, осмотрительными и не нарушайте наше законодательство. Потому что в прошлый раз подходили и пытался объяснять все открыто и доходчиво. Вы начинаете придумывать то выборы, то еще что-то. В данном случае мы сейчас задаем стандарты, если вы по ним в будущем не пойдете в плане принятия решений, представляя другие страны, мы считаем, что это не демократично. Окей, so for, for all you Russian speakers, yeah, take a deep breath. I know, I know, and this is gonna get just, just for all these people who could understand this in Russian, yeah, yeah. Keep in mind that I'm gonna translate this into English, okay? Uh, it's a bit weird. Okay, let's go. When I tell you that this is going to be a bit tough, and when I take 10 minutes to get to the actual translation of the speech, then, uh, yeah, it means something. Okay, I'm ready to do this. This is hard. <clears throat> What's the meaning of having a national vote if the president will already have signed the project into law at this point? Asked by the British journalist working for BBC. Well, Russian journalist, but working for BBC, so... Uh, the meaning lies in the fact that you, representing foreign sources of mass information, would take such a form that we choose for ourselves difficult, but yet democratic, when in the discussion about all those changes in the Constitution participate not only deputies, but also the people from the Soviet of the Federation, that's their Senate, regional parliaments, but in the end, all of this will be decided by the citizens of our country, and they will partake in this. And you took this for your own country and realized it, because you choose presidents there, 200 congressmen decide the fate of the world, but after that, we all become hostages of such decisions when everyone's being shaken, and then you start to push through your economical interests, putting them as mandated for other countries. You should walk the path of Russia. Everything else is messing in our internal affairs. Therefore, please be very careful here and look around and do not break our laws. Because last time you came to me and I tried to explain to you everything openly and clearly, but you start to think something about elections and then something else. In the given case, we right now are giving the standards, and if you will not follow them in the planning process of taking decisions representing other countries, then we think that this is undemocratic. I remind you that I wrote this down, and yes, this makes 
just as much sense in Russian as it does in English. And I had to take breaks while I was writing this down. And I tried to give you the most accurate representation of how he sounded when he was uh, announcing all these things in Russian. And, of course, I am now um, quite confused. Because if you get something so nonsensical, then I don't even know. This is the point of, of my existence where I can say that I've seen, well, many things as a journalist. And this speech sort of reminds me of what George Orwell stated about politics and politicians giving speeches, because these are the only type of people who can open their mouths and let the nonsense flow, and they will not get punished for it. They will uh, not suffer from it. They will live on as if nothing had happened. And yes, yes, uh, really nothing has changed, because this is how they talk, and then... Then, you know, sometimes as I, or people like me, like my colleagues, they have to make sense from all of this. And then we notice that, uh, yeah, the BBC even haven't published anything about it. That's all I can say. I, I can't really give any comments on this, obviously. This, this person was trying to basically blame the United States for everything, even though it was asked to him by a British journalist, he didn't answer the original question, and whatever he said was, uh, well, uh, I, I don't even know, okay, it was just a thing, apparently, but yeah, well, now you have it, I promised this on, on Twitter, and, uh, make your own decisions, but, from other news, because we, I, I want to move on, on, on some things that, um, really make at least slightly, slightly more sense, or doesn't, in the same context, really, this uh, also kind of um, joins in with other facts that will uh, make this disappointing because these changes in the Constitution, they've turned out one of the other additions that, that is going to happen there, which was skipped out in the original president's speech, but then president set up a certain work group of 75 people, including my old buddy Dmitry Solovyov, whom I hate with terrible passion, who's probably the most government-centric uh, person, the biggest propaganda spinner of the Russian Federation. Now, we have a lot of them in Latvia, too, but that's, that's for another episode. I'm not saying we're clean, but this guy has just absurd levels of just spouting nonsense. The, the most important part is that um, they are going to change the constitutional court as well, the Supreme Court for the United States in this case. Today, uh, Russia's highest judicial body, when it comes to interpreting the foundational law, is the constitutional court. And it's only described in Article 1 of the federal law entitled On the Constitutional Court of the Russian Federation. And currently it says, The Constitutional Court of the Russian Federation is a judiciary body for constitutional stewardship that self-sufficiently and independently executes judicial decisions via constitutional legal proceedings. Now that is a nice little thing. The Article 125, Part 1 of the Russian Constitution will read as follows. The Constitutional Court of the Russian Federation is the highest judiciary body for constitutional stewardship in the Russian Federation and it executes judicial decisions via constitutional legal proceedings with the aim of defending the foundations of the constitutional order, fundamental human rights and freedoms, providing for the supremacy and direct application of the Constitution of the Russian Federation throughout the territory of the Russian Federation. The Constitutional Court of the Russian Federation is composed of 11 judges, including the Chief Judge of the Constitutional Court of the Russian Federation and their deputy. Currently, that court has 19 judges, and they are about to lose their independence. Completely. 
So, in light of all these beautiful events, how do you defend a weird project that's gonna basically ruin your judicial part of your uh, nice little split power system? Well, apparently you do it like Mr. Velodin did. But there's still weird more stuff happening in Eastern Border. How do you lose four CEOs of companies? Apparently you can if you're Belarus. Hey guys, Annette here. Glad to have you with us for a new episode of the Eastern Border. As always, a big thank you to our Patreons. If you're not a Patreon and would like to become one, head over to patreon.com slash the Eastern Border to find out how you too can support our show. To keep up to date with all things Eastern Border, follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And don't hesitate to send us a message with your comments and questions. That's it for now. Thank you for listening and see you online. This podcast brought to you by RussianVoiceOvers.eu. Enjoy. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. So, to carry on from our um, previous part about what the hell news, apparently in Belarus, four directors of all of their four sugar factories have just disappeared. Now, as you might know, and I've told you that before, in Belarus, still a huge amount of various companies are state-owned. And they still have KGB, and they still have Kolhos, and they still have basically everything. Belarus is a very Soviet country. And, uh, yeah, on the 27th of January, none of them arrived at work. And, uh, yeah, it wouldn't seem kind of strange, but a day later, turned out that they all had been arrested, according to, like, cases of corruption, which is now being investigated by their, um... State Security Department, or, well, Belarusian KGB. 
Now, what makes this interesting is that they're sugar factories. They're not like oil producing things. But this matters because a lot of their clients are in Russia. And recently, Belarus had uh, decided that they have enough of issues with Russia, because currently the deal is that Russia produces a lot of oil and gas, and then Belarus purchases it, and then turns it into gasoline, which then gets exported either to Western countries, and some of it gets like sent back to Russia. Basically, Belarus works as a huge oil transformation production refinement company, which turns raw oil into gasoline and such. And just after Russia basically decided to fire their own attorney general, Belarus did the same because there are various rumors going everywhere that Mr. Lukashenko is obviously worried about his own um, health, so to speak, more closely actual life. But this corruption scandal could also be somehow involved here. But why four sugar factory CEOs? Nobody knows. If it would be just a, your regular out-of-the-mill corruption scandal, then you would expect some arrests happening, some, you know, slightly less than normal work of operations, but a tiny little thing happened that makes it all the stranger. Because due to this arrest, basically to capture two of these CEOs of the sugar factories, they literally turned a plane around, a passenger plane over Poland, and landed it. On the 24th of January, there was a plane from their national aviation company, Belavia, that flew from Minsk to Munich, which was just stopped. They were near Wroclaw, and at that point they received orders and were forced to land in Grodno. So apparently, according to eyewitnesses, some nice men from the KGB, which I always love saying, yeah, some, some men in uniforms just entered the airplane, and according to what the passengers told, basically took out about like seven to eight people from the airplane. And the remaining people were asked to leave the plane temporarily with their stuff, but, you know, the plane was searched, then they were allowed to re-enter back, and then the plane continued to Munich. And uh, the sources of Tut, BY, and the Pressbola, both uh, Belarusian news agencies, declared that among the passengers of this flight, there was the director of Gorodyeski sugar factory, Mikhail Kristapovich. And also another site, Slutsk Gorod, with their sources, wrote that there was another one, CEO of factory company, Nikolai Prudinka. Obviously, none of this is getting commented by anything, because neither the aviation company nor uh, the government is making any comments on that. But it's just so weird, because, well, why would you do that? Seems like a strange, strange thing to do. But up until, like, yesterday, no one knew what was going on. But then, brutal yesterday, on the 30th of January, the first official announcement about the sugar case basically appeared, and it's very... I don't know, shady? It's another one of those barely understandable things. The Attorney General of Belarus, Alexander Konyuk, he commented this case in the following, quote, I do not want to announce right now certain things. They are going to be heard by the whole re republic. But what happened right now, this is basically concerning our debitorial matters and the debt of these sugar factories. These are the schemes that are used by some people, which uh, are basically 
intertwined among these CEOs, which then were used to influence our political affairs. And we have evidence that they have ties to counter agents, specifically Russian ones. That was it. That, that's his word salad, you know, if we're making a word salad episode. But the fact that he also mentions Russia just again proves this theory that um, Batka, as he's known in these parts, Mr. Lukashenko, is very wary about uh, all these bizarre, weird actions that are being taken by Putin and, well, Russia in general towards his country and towards everything here. And um, yeah, just like with the previous attorney general, who apparently didn't do enough to basically make sure that the Russian influence didn't get very far. Yeah, uh, this is looking like a kind of interesting turn to the West. Does this mean that Belarus might actually get a legit election at one point? I highly doubt it, but it certainly is interesting because all this kind of weirdness that's happening there is just weird since right now Lukashenko and his opposition, which normally would be at each other's throats, yeah, they're teaming up! And that just makes the whole weird word salad cases of random happenings even weirder. Because you see, 90% of Belarusian sugar is being sold in Russia. According to Belstat, well, Belarusian statistics data, in the last year, Belarus exported 252,000 tons of sugar worth $102 million, while in 2018 they exported way more, they exported 391,000 tons of sugar, worth $165 million. Basically, this is kind of a, an interesting thing. This is important because the state used to help and subsidize the sugar factories, but apparently they are now kind of involved in the scheme. But yeah, that's another weirdness, but if you thought that's, that's about it, then, uh, well, I also want to talk about one uh, very special and interesting death that happened recently. From a guy that used to appear on Russian ultra-nationalistic super-right-wing opposition channels. There's a saying that states that you can only speak good things or nothing about the dead, but the older, more accurate version of the same saying is speak either nothing or just the truth. And I would like to comment on this one very specific death before uh, we move away from utter bizarre world. Now... The death I want to talk about is one of Vsevolod Chaplin. He used to be a spokesperson for the Russian Orthodox Church, and he was an ultra-conservative. He was 51. He was among the most publicly visible and controversial members of the Russian Orthodox clergy. Yet, he managed to get into enough trouble with the Russian Orthodox Church that even the uh, very corrupt Mr. Gundyayev, or Patriarch Kirill, of the Russian Orthodox Church didn't attend his funeral. Initial reports indicate the chaplain had a heart attack immediately outside the entrance to the Cathedral of St. Fyodor, where he had been the narc priest in 2016. He served as the Russian Orthodox Church as the spokesperson for the entire church between 2009 up until 2015. When he was dismissed from that post, the clergyman threw in his lot with the opposition, specifically with its most extreme right-wing and left-wing members. So we're going to have some comments on this, because he used to be a liberal, who then shifted away from liberalism to one of the most extreme forms of conservatism. And um, before I give you some accounts uh, from theological experts and political scientists about what he did, I'll just read a bit from what he's said before. In 2017, for example, he said that Stalin was God's way of punishing the Bolsheviks. 
he uh, wrote on Facebook that the infamous Soviet leader was actually a divine servant to punish the men responsible for the Bolshevik Revolution and the Red Terror. He said, quote, Yes, Stalin was an atheist, at least for most of his life. And yes, he's responsible for the deaths of many innocent people, specifically peasants, Cossacks and clergymen, but he was God's scourge against the bloody authors of the revolution and the Red Terror. An unwilling, or perhaps willing, servant of God, a revenge to execute wrath upon him that doth evil. He went on to say that Russians who tremble today at the mention of Stalin's name are the biological, ideological, and spiritual descendants of the executioners whom Stalin righteously destroyed. And he also went on to say that justice once again needs the leadership of a strong hand, explaining that the country now looks to Orthodox Christianity in one of its more ruthless forms for its future. Also, in 2016, he was the person who stated that backlash to muftis, like Islamic leaders of Russia, support for female circumcision is, quote, feminist howling. I'll quote again. <clears throat> Civil Chaplin said he doesn't quite see eye to eye with Ismail Berdi of the chairman of the North Caucasus Muslim Coordinating Center, who told reporters that all women should be circumcised. Ay ay ay, he wrote on Facebook. Now we're seeing some real feminist howling because of what Mufti Ismail Berdiev had said. He then went on to explain that he's no Berdiev for 25 years and respects female circumcision, insofar as it's a time-honored practice recognized by the majority of women living in this tradition. And he believes that the United Nations' efforts to ban the practice are a part of the United Nations' feminist assault on religion. Still, though, he says he disagrees with Berdiev that all women should be circumcised. Quote, Chaplin wrote that we probably don't need to circumcise all women. There is no need with Orthodox Christian women, for example. They don't fornicate as it is. But these words by the Mufti carry universal significance. After all, God did create women to give birth to children and to raise them. Without a doubt, feminism is the lie of the 20th century. What a great guy. And uh, uh, that's not it. Uh, again in 2016, Sevilla Chaplin endorsed a policy of killing Russia's internal enemies. <clears throat> on the radio station Echo Moskvi, he stated, In the end, what's so bad about destroying certain parts of Russia's internal enemies? He then clarified that he was indeed discussing the physical destruction of Russia's enemies at home. Of course, physical elimination, he said. There are some people you can and must kill. It is no coincidence that they destroy criminals. To told that Russia suspended the death penalty in 1996, Chaplin answered, It is no fact that this was the right decision. For the edification of societies, sometimes it is necessary to destroy some number of those who deserve to be destroyed. Chaplin concluded, citing the Bible, and specifically, the Book of Revelations. So, yeah, this guy died apparently just after having service, and, uh, well, I don't really know any other Orthodox priests even who would openly endorse killing of people, praise Stalin for killing more people, and would totally say that, oh no no, it's a-okay to, to circumcise women, which is a barbarous practice. No one cares. Yeah, what a friendly chap he was, really. And then there's uh, comments on this. Andrei Dostinsky, philologist, biblical scholar, and member of Russian Academy of Sciences, said about his death, quote, I was very upset at the news about Chaplin's death, because anyone's death at an age that is altogether not elderly is a sad thing. I never got to finish arguing with Father Vsevolod. He obviously had a very different views on many different things from me, but as a person he was much more than the image he had in the media. The image that was created in the so-called liberal press, for lack of a better word, was that of a crocodile who jumps out at every opportunity to say something scary. 
And more articles about Russian Orthodoxy had to do with him than not had to do with him saying something awful. As a person, though, he was much broader than that image. Few know that he helped many people and not only people who shared his worldview. He was the archpriest of a cathedral where all kinds of meetings took place and all kinds of people received help from him. He was a person who talked to people. Uh, this is from me. Oh, yes, he did. If he knew about my existence, he'd probably condemn me to eternal suffering and, and, and hell and would kind of personally stick an ice pick in my head, so... That's fun. And, uh... Yeah, <clears throat> quote. He said things in such a way that people would uh, talk about them. I think he got bored at some point. The man worked for many years in the patriarchate, but he got tired of it, and he understood that very little depended on him there anymore. Maybe that gesture as well was his internal way of protesting against his idiosyncratic fall from grace. After all, he was never accused of anything specific. They just quietly pushed him out. I can technically agree with the fact that he indeed said a lot of bizarre things. Because this episode is all about weird people saying weird things. Then there is Alexei Makarkin, political analyst which I mentioned previously on the show because he's a often commentator of things. Quote, Father Vsevolod was somebody who was often talked about and often thought about. He started out as a supporter of liberal views on orthodoxy and clerical life, and he ended up a very strict conservative. People evolve in various ways and for various reasons, but Father Vsevolod's evolution was completely genuine. When he shifted toward radical conservatism, he essentially sacrificed his career for it, left the elevated position that he had in the church as a division leader within the Moscow Patriarch. There are many possible reactions to his views, to the various things he said that triggered an emotional public response and criticism and so on, but his words were always dictated by his genuine views, albeit quite weird views, about what orthodoxy meant. Of course he was a deeply religious person. For a long time he was a diplomat, a kind of politician in the church which requires a rather high level of heritability and a tendency towards dialogue and compromise. But in the final months of his administrative service, one could tell that it weighted him down quite a bit. During the course of his church work, he came to a set of radical, anti-ecumenical, conservative views, though he considered them to be the only route to salvation, and he followed them faithfully in the final years of his life. Now, this is a bizarre thing, because I'm speaking about a death of an orthodox priest, but hey, if you have a priest who openly calls for murder of people and praises mass murderers, then know that we kind of don't endorse that sort of priests who are very pro-violence. But like I said, there's been a weird episode and I'm healing my legs, so things are gonna get better in the future, but I hope that you enjoyed this whole weird thing with weird people and weird deaths, and uh, still, no one knows how this happened. And of course, there are many conspiracies about Chaplin's death, same as there are conspiracies about what happened in Belarus. And what Mr. Volodyev will do. Well, only time will tell. But we'll be up for this. Like I said, next time we're dealing with the Soviet cruise ship. But for now, well, I'm gonna go and lay down a bit. This stuff, this stuff is pretty hard to make. Because, you know, trying to make some sense of it. Anyhow, do свидания, товарищи, and see you next time. Thank you for listening to The Eastern Border. If you have any comments or specific details you'd like to know, you're welcome to leave it in the comment section on our site, theeasternborder.lv, and we'll rummage even to the western border to find you an answer. Like this podcast? Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or on our RSS feed. Happiness is mandatory. Good reviews and donations feed the farmers of our kolkhoz in the great motherland. The Eastern Border salutes you. This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org 
for more shows like this one, The Dark Myths Void. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Traffic jams, tailgating, pile-ups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.